Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. Milkshakers, welcome to this next episode. I'm your host, Rain Rain Wilson, and welcome Reza Aslan, who's also a host of this show. (laughs) Sorry, that was awkward. That's kind of my thing, Reza. You are definitely awkward. You are definitely, you've always been awkward. You are an awkward human being. I I'm, I feel bad there was a show title taken called Awkward because that really is the story of my life. Awkward the Rain Wilson story. Uh, exactly. The, the, and proof of this was right before this session, I was online practicing my chess, um, my uh, Rui Lopez attack and my King's Indian defense. Oh, Jesus. Which I, you know, I mix up King's Indian and the Perk defense. They're very <laughs> similar. It's the same idea. It's about fianchettoed bishops. Oof. You know, it's about seeding the ownership of the central squares, but really developing uh, a late game. It's ca- sometimes called the modern game. I don't, um, think, I don't think we can afford to lose any more of our listeners than we are already losing as, as you continue to talk about your geek nerdness. You went through a nerd phase too, right? I mean, you this is this is part of your heritage. Listen, I'll tell you the difference between you and me, Rain Wilson. And this is okay. actually I really admire this about you. I really do. We we haven't talked about this before. We weren't planning on this, but I, I, I really admire this about you, which is that every time you tell a story about your childhood, uh it is un, unflinchingly honest about your absolute acceptance of your, uh, like nerdness, you know, like you were a nerd, Mm -hmm. you were a weird looking dude and you just, that's who you were and you just kind of accepted it and you moved along. And I, I can't say with a straight face that I felt the same way because I too was a weirdo and a nerd. I mean, I didn't speak English that well. And I'm like this Brown dude, uh, and I'm, and I'm here at a time in which like, you know, it's like the early 1980s, not the best time, uh, to be an Iranian in America. Uh, and yet instead of accepting that, instead of just simply kind of, you know, absorbing that, I, I spent a good part of my childhood running away from it, pretending to be cool, pretending to be hip, pretending to be a jock. And I am not cool. I am not hip and I am not a jock. I, you know, this, I even pretended to be Mexican for like a good decade. I didn't know that was your story. I, you, you pretended to be like Reza Hernandez or what did, I, no, I, you just use the well, name. Reza and said kind of sounds, I actually, it's like Reza is a, is a, is a Spanish word. It's like the imperative. Uh, it means pray. So people thought I was just a really, really religious Mexican. You know, I think you and I both felt like outsiders when we were yes. growing up, but I admire the fact that, uh, as far as, you know, what I know about you, like you, you didn't run away from that. You you absorbed it, and I feel like I spent you know uh, pretty much all of elementary school, junior high, certainly most of high school, running away from my outsider geek nerd true self. Uh, and it wasn't until college that I was like, you know what, fuck you guys, I I this is who I am, <laughs> and that uh, you and embraced I'm, it. I'm gonna make a living out of it. That's fantastic. Well, you know. This is an important conversation because I feel like with this mental health crisis with young people today, kind of people embracing their mental health difficulties, embracing who they are, embracing their awkwardness, 
their nerdiness, whatever else about them uh, feels different and unaccepted, and to allow that to transform into a superpower. And we have a guest on the show. I'm so excited to bring on the show because he, more than anyone else I know, has managed to do this. He turned um, a kind of tragic, youthful story um, that could have uh, left uh, a weaker person broken, but in, in embracing his weakness and vulnerability and brokenness has made an entire career out of it. So Will Wheaton is with us. Will Wheaton? We are talking about Will no. Wheaton. Yes. Not Will Wheaton. Wesley Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation. Gordy from Stand By Me. That's who we're talking about here. That's exactly what we're talking about. He's also a member of Mensa. He is one of the very first bloggers of all, of all time. Uh, he's an active Dungeons & Dragons player. He still hosts uh, an after show about uh, Star Trek called The Ready Room. And uh, so, so we're talking about a certified fresh geek, like, like in, the, in the pantheon of geekhood. Yes. We would find Will Wheaton. You know, listen, listen. There's there's a lot of geeks out there. There's people who claim to be geeks. They talk about it. There's shows about it. There's networks about it. There's gamers. There's there's dorks and and whatnot. But he has transformed his geekdom into something trend, truly transcendent. And the reason that we wanted to have Will Wheaton on this show, besides the fact that he's awesome in almost every way, is that exactly what you were talking about. Like nowadays, sure, you're a geek and you're celebrated. The geeks shall inherit the earth, blah, blah, blah. But man, not in the 80s. Let me tell you something. Not when Will Wheaton was growing up. And, uh, you know, Will, he's got this amazing book called Still Just a Geek. Uh, that we're going to talk about a little bit. But part of the reason why we wanted to have him on this show is because his story is such an inspiring story of never losing sight of who you really are, embracing your identity, Mm. embracing Mm -hmm. uh, the person that you are, even when the world just shits on you for it, even when the entire world tells you you suck, be something else. Will is the perfect example of saying to the world, fuck you, this is who I am. And I am so stoked to have him on the show. So please, without further ado, welcome Will Wheaton. Oh my God, 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 it's Will Wheaton. I can't even believe it. I'm having trouble breathing right now. Buddy, Temba, his arms wide. Yes, yes, I'm wearing my Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra shirt. By the way, I want to start this podcast by outing my fake geek Star Trek fan co-host, Rain Wilson, who was like, what's a Darmok? And I was like, oh my God. Rain, you're not a fake geek because you don't know who Darmok is. It just means you haven't seen that episode. It doesn't mean he's a It fake sounds like geek. a poncho you you would buy in Bolivia. Well, uh, we don't need to tell you this. Uh, we are gigantic uh, fans of yours. I've been a fan of yours forever. I uh, am not, em- you know, I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm a diehard Trekker. I've been a Trekker for pretty much since I was like, I think a sophomore in high school, I believe is, is when it, when it began. So this is a, a very special uh, moment for me because I've, I've actually never uh, talked to anyone who's been on any Star Trek uh, episode of any kind. So this is really, really, excuse me. Uh, Rain. What, what is it? Yes. Rain Wilson. You have your hand raised. You said you have not talked to anyone who has ever been on any Star Trek episode ever. So, were you on a? Were you on it or something? Uh, hello, I'm I'm the reboot of Harry Mud. Oh right, 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 right. Um, how did you manage to navigate the delicate uh, sensibilities surrounding the Mud's women trope when you recreated That's the a character? Good point. <laughs> they put him in prison, is what they did. That's how they dealt with that. <laughs> There's a joke. I don't know if this is true. There is an apocryphal story that in the early years of Next Generation. Someone had an idea that the Enterprise would come across kind of a derelict ship somewhere and there was a life form on board that was in stasis. Pull the life form off, wake him up. And when he wakes up, 
um, he says, where am I? And Dr. Crusher says, you're on the Enterprise. And he goes, oh, come on. And it's Harry Mudd, <laughs> who's been like in stasis forever. It's a really lovely idea um, uh, that we weren't able to do because the actor who played him had died. Um, like, like somebody like planted the seed for the idea. And I guess the guy was like, nope, I'm dying. And, uh, and, and, and we, sorry, I'm dying over here. Yeah. Literally the great Roger Carmel, uh, hats off to him. Uh, such an exquisite, uh, actor. I only did two, uh, episodes as, um, as Harry Mudd in, uh, Star Trek discovery. That's STD. Yeah. Um, I am a huge fan of TOS, the original series, TOS, and uh, loved Harry Mudd as a child. And what an honor to get to shoot a phaser and to sit in a captain's chair and to get beamed up and to ride an elevator to the bridge. And and all of that mishmash uh, was a dream come true. So um, did you have uh, did you struggle with uh, so the couple of times I got to fire a phaser and I hear this happens all the time with people who regularly fire phasers is there's this um, uh, if it were real, it would be very much just like I push the button. Right. But when we do it, sure. because we grew up watching Star Trek, we're like, pew, pew, you know, we're like, you know, like creating <laughs> recoil when there's it, yeah. none there. Uh -huh. And and there are there are these stories of actors running around the Star Trek sets making pew, pew noises just because it's, it, I think it activates some kind of like child deep that. memory uh, that just takes over. Um, but when you got to fire a phaser, what, but it's cool, right? I mean, it's, you're just holding a prop, but you're firing a phaser. Like it's super cool, right? It's super cool. It's yeah. super cool. I did not make the pew, pew, pew sounds. Well, of but, course not. You're um, a professional. Uh, it was, it was a dream come true. I hope to someday in some other form or respect, either bring that character back or, reappear in some star trek iteration but um maybe maybe that's it but either either way i can die happy but i was a huge the original series fan in fact i'm writing this new book um called soul boom why we need a spiritual revolution and i have the whole first chapter is a comparison between the two greatest 70s television shows star trek and kung fu as mirror uh parallel spiritual journeys the kung fu mm -hmm. is the internal journey of the the emotional journey of the wayfarer going on his quest you know overcoming obstacles dealing with temptations with good and evil and mm -hmm. star trek being the the journey of humanity as a whole where you know science has liberated us from hate from prejudice and has um is guiding us technologically forward into the universe to to meet our our fellows um, in create bonds of, of love and unity. Um, and that that's where mankind is ultimately headed. If we don't destroy ourselves, I like to think that we're headed in a Star Trek direction. So uh, we're huge Trekkers. Anyways, we want to talk, talk to you about your new book, Still Just a Geek. You had a book, Just a Geek. Still Just a Geek. Uh, I, and, love um, I feel like, we, I think, so I feel like cool. we spent a good 10 minutes sort of clarifying our geek bona fides. And now, yes. now we are at the place where we can now speak about geekdom. Well said. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. People are feeling burnout more than ever. I know oh, yeah. I am. Uh, it's a lot of work, a lot of different pressures coming at us and me from all different sides. Some of you might even be burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, and more. We associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. And BetterHelp wants to help. It's online therapy, and it wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone else can help you figure out what is causing stress in your life, because that's another big part for me, is my personal weekly therapy with Bruce, my therapist, Bruce. I highly suggest the act of opening your heart, sharing your feelings, examining your behavior patterns with a seasoned professional that can help guide you. And that's what BetterHelp provides. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist like Bruce in under 48 hours. 
Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash milkshake. That's betterhelp.com slash milkshake. Listen, folks, take care of yourself, okay? Don't uh, don't ignore the, the warning signs, all right? Call BetterHelp. You know, Rain, uh, you and I both live in California, so you've seen the alerts like I've seen the alerts. We're in the middle of yet another drought. I mean, this is the new normal. I mean, if you're like me, one of these people who stresses a lot about, you know, climate change and the things that you can do in order to at least personally uh, act responsibly and perhaps alleviate uh, the impact that we are having on the climate, well, Ren is the company for you. Ren is a startup that's making it easy for everyone to make a meaningful difference in the climate crisis. Right now, they're focused on monthly subscriptions where you can calculate your carbon footprint and then offset it by supporting awesome climate projects. Their goal is to unlock the collective action of millions of individuals to drive the systemic change needed to end the climate crisis. Ren is a website where you can calculate your personal carbon footprint based on your lifestyle, then offset it by funding projects that plant trees, protect rainforests, sequester CO2, and more. Signing up for Ren is an easy way to do something meaningful about the climate crisis. Ren practices hypertransparency. Once you sign up to make a monthly contribution to offset your carbon footprint, you'll receive monthly updates about the tree planting, rainforest protection, and carbon removal projects you're funding. You can even see the exact coordinates of the trees you planted. Look, folks, it's going to take all of us to end the climate crisis. So do your part today. Sign up for Ren. Go to ren.co/milkshake. Sign up, and you know what? They'll plant ten extra trees in your name. That's ren w r e n dot c o slash milkshake. Start making a difference. Thank you, Ren. So, uh, Will, you, the, the book, Still Just a Geek, you, you call yourself uh, a geek, you proudly self-describe uh, as, a, a, as a geek. Tell us, how did you uh, come to that realization? How did you realize that, uh, that you were a geek? Or did someone have to tell you? Which is often how it works, right? I'll be 50 in July, so I'm kind of like in the middle of Generation X. And my schoolyard experience was... Uh, being smart was really looked down on. Uh, caring about education and wanting to learn was mocked and belittled. Um, it almost seemed like the the crucible of the elementary school playground was entirely. It was it was like just Lord of the Flies at my school, right? Like the big tough kids were just they ran the place, and 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 um, um, I and I don't know like four other kids. Um, uh, one of whom I'm relatively confident was on the spectrum in retrospect, um, were just cerebral and we loved books and we were not athletic or coordinated. And in the late seventies and early eighties, when I was in elementary school, that kind of, uh, focus and, and enthusiasm wasn't really celebrated the way it is now, sort mm -hmm. of everywhere you go. And, um, Kids made fun of us and called us nerds and we were ashamed of it. But like, you know, we would get together and talk all about the thing we had seen on Star Trek or that that episode of Thundar the Barbarian we watched Saturday morning or what was I happening in someone's D&D game. You know, that's He-Man stole ripped off Thundar the Barbarian. <laughs> I will die on that hill forever. I will die on the hill forever. Yes. He-Man ripped off Thundar the Barbarian. Um, but like, you know, there was just, it was just this way of saying in the set, when I was a kid, calling somebody a nerd or a geek was a way of saying like, oh, you're, you're different. You're weird. You're maybe neurodivergent. You're intellectual. You have weird social skills. You're awkward. Um, and you're really, really, really smart because you spend all your time in your head because when you're out of your head, people are making fun of you. Um, there was a point in my life, uh, uh, where I just decided I'm owning that. I'm not being ashamed of that. And I'm going to make what it was okay. that? What was that point? When was that point? I feel like- Are we talking 14 in... or are we talking 24? 
<laughs> oh God, I wish it was 14. No, it wasn't until I was in my 20s. It was mm -hmm. definitely, definitely when I was in my 20s. And, uh, uh, and, and I started seeing, it was around the time that, I feel like the Lord of the Rings phenomenon really mainstreamed a lot of what made our culture our culture. And I'm really excited and really happy about that. I was thrilled about that when it happened. Because mm -hmm. I was starting to see people uh, who just were not my people at Comic-Con. And that's when I knew, oh, they're coming. They're coming into our community. Cool, the community is expanding. And mm. I've been here since the very beginning. I'm not going to be ashamed of this. There are kids in this world who are thrilled and enthusiastic and excited, and they feel ashamed of it. And we who have like um, uh, cleared the minefield ahead of them, absolutely need to show them the path through it. And I was probably in my early 20s when I just thought, yeah, man, it's great. Being a nerd's awesome. Let's, <laughs> let, like, let's love it. And that was around the time that I started thinking uh, about the concept, and this is in the book, that being a nerd's not about the thing that you love. It's about the way you love the thing, right? Like mm. uh, 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 a football fan who goes to a, a, a playoff game in the middle of winter when it's snowing in like, a t-shirt and body paint because they love their football team is no different than somebody getting dressed up for the 501st and going to a comic convention. It's the exact same love. It comes from the exact same place. Yeah. <laughs> Digging into to statistics and, and, and looking at the history is no of, of a sport is no different than looking into the lore of a video game Absolutely. or the lore of an ARG and just consuming it and loving it and then celebrating it with other people. When I realized in my 20s that this was something to be celebrated that was awesome um it it really it it changed the way that i saw myself and it removed a lot of the shame and hesitancy that i had had experienced and i just thought i want to make sure that as as many people in the future can avoid that sense of shame that we all kind of grew up mm -hmm. with well so you just kind of went back and forth between geek and nerd i i noticed and I, i'm curious like what what exactly is the difference? I mean, what is a geek? Is it a nerd or is it a, a dweeb? Is it a spaz? I, <laughs> is it a dork? Dweeb I haven't heard in a really long time. Loser dolt. Um, <laughs> reminds me of Neo Maxi Zoom Dweeby from uh, uh, The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I use them interchangeably. Um, really? They don't mean different things? Yeah. They're not different categories? Not, not for you? to me. They, no? they, I'm sure that there are people who would passionately argue, I'm not a geek, I'm a nerd, or the, or I'm not a nerd, I'm a geek. But it's kind of like the Trekkie Trekker debate, right? Like By allowing people who aren't part of our culture to say, no, Trekkie is weird. We let them take that away from us. Mm. And we invented Trekker so we could feel cool about it. Fuck that. It's our culture. It's our <laughs> love. It's what we celebrate. We're calling ourselves Trekkies. Deal with it. I'm not going to be ashamed about it. Um, I, I, I think that's, I don't know. I kind of want to roll into, to, um, like muggle world with that sort of energy. Like, yo, we're here. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's celebrate this cool, weird stuff. Um, we're going to go for our favorite geek moments. I want to hear Reza's here in a minute. Personal or okay. my personal favorite geek mo moments of yeah, geekdom. Yeah, I mean, here, here's, here's mine. Here's, here's mine. There's my crowning achievement of geekdom. So in my sophomore year of high school, Will, I want you to drink this in. Yeah. Okay. I was on the chess team. Uh huh. I was Amazing. on the computer club. Love it. I played bassoon in the orchestra. Yeah. I was on the debate team mm -hmm. and model United Nations. Wow. And you did I played, everything I wanted to do. <laughs> I I was playing xylophone in the marching band oh. while wearing a kilt because we were the Shorecrest Highlanders. Oh. Dude. That is so cool. And it probably made you really uncool at the time, right? I was the uncoolest oh my God. piece Oof. of pimply, skinny garbage oh. in North Seattle that you'd oh. ever want to meet. But oh. here's my here's the crowning achievement <laughs> okay. um, wow. was our chess team went to the state championships. I was yeah. fourth board. As a sophomore, okay. I had yeah. nothing but as a sophomore. That's okay. I as I had nothing. I had a big, big dreams, hopes, and dreams in front of me. And yeah. then we came in. We had uh, I forget. I, I forget. We didn't win at state, but we we did like okay. I don't know. We were like, and then we came in, and there was a giant banner that said, "Congrats, Shorecrest Chess Team for winning state" or something. We didn't win state, but there was this. Banner and we all like walked in 
together. I forget why we were all together. And we saw the banner and we're like, oh my God, this is incredible. They're, they're saluting us and our achievement. This is incredible. And then it was a bunch of the cheerleaders that had made the banner and they saw us seeing the banner and they all started to laugh. Oh, no. They started to laugh at like a John Hughes movie. They're like, ah, and we all dejectedly went (sighs) our way, Um, including Jeff Shadow, who got a Letterman's jacket. Jeff Shadow. The Jeff (laughs) Shadow. They even got Jeff Shadow, those awful mean girls. Wow. They, but he had a Letterman's jacket in chess. So it said Short Crest Highlanders and it had a chess piece. And he yeah. proudly wore his Letterman's chess yeah, jacket did. around yeah. the school. So there you have it. Reza, I, you're I, up. I, there's no beating that. I feel like you should have gone last. All right, here we go. Uh, okay, mine Okay, mine was in college. Uh, so I was a freshman in college. And since we already brought up uh, Darmark and Jalad, uh, then let's let's stay let's stick with that theme. Um, so uh, I'm studying uh, world religions. I decide that that's what I that's what I'm gonna do. Like mythologies, the religions of the world, people's beliefs, legends, and all that stuff. And um, and everyone has to do this like presentation um, <clears throat> in our in our world mythology course. And I decide <laughs> that what I'm gonna do is a kind of one man kind of live reading of Darmok and Jalada Tanagra. And so I, <laughs> I, I fortunately, here's the, the good news is I already had the captain's uniform. So Perfect. I didn't have to go and get one. That was, that was right, nice. Sure. So I already had the Picard yeah. uniform. Um, and I kind of beamed in to the front of the class uh, with my, with my communicator uh, and I, I, yeah, I basically did a kind of 15 minute version, like a one act, <laughs> one man play, uh, a, a tight 15 of next a, generation a tight 15 of that particular episode, one of the greatest episodes of all time. Uh, yes. and then I, and then I kind of, you know, extrapolated from it and talked about, um, the role of myth and metaphor uh, and and you know the 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 idea about how uh, uh, you know religion is essentially just like a, a language of symbols and metaphors, and you have to you have to unpack the symbols and metaphors. Now, I will say this was a very geeky moment, and when it was finished, I had maybe like twenty students just stare glassy eyed at me, like no one knew what the hell I was talking about. I did get an A. Uh, no one knew what I was talking about, uh, but. I got the last laugh on those bastards because number one, uh, that became the foundation for uh, my uh, eventually my dissertation and sort of uh, my life's work and the way that I talk and and think about religion and what religion is. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go on. Um, I guess what is the the like one of the official Star Trek pod or something. Uh, uh-huh. And and spent forty five minutes essentially <laughs> just presenting the entire thesis of Darmok and Jalad and how it, it was uh, it was the platform through which I built my entire uh, career as a thinker about religion. So no xylophone, no no uh, bassoon. <laughs> if I if there was a if there was a xylophone and bassoon in that story, I feel like I I would have won. But uh, that's that's my geek story. Some things are inevitable, like allergy season, <laughs> right, Reza? Oh, sorry. Listen, if you're like me, you you are feeling it right now. The weather is changing. My allergies are killing me. I mean, I normally sound like a stuffed-up Kermit the Frog anyway, and now it, it's just ridiculous. Uh, but here's the good news. At least you can save on your prescription allergy medications. All you got to do is go to GoodRx. Because with GoodRx, you can compare prescription prices at over 70,000 pharmacies to help you find the best price, whether it's allergy medication or anything else. And you can even find discounts of up to 80%. GoodRx is recommended by doctors, pharmacists, and millions of people across the country who have saved on their prescriptions. Speaking of millions of people, over 24 million used GoodRx just last year to save on their medications, and you can too. 
whether that's on your allergy meds or other prescriptions. And remember, even if you have insurance, GoodRx could actually beat your prescription copay price. Yeah, I mean, I got I have great insurance, and I still check GoodRx, and yeah, I, you're, you'd be surprised at how often the prices on GoodRx are better than the prices that you get with your insurance. So for simple, smart savings on your prescriptions, just go check GoodRx. You, all you got to do is go to goodrx.com slash milkshake. That's good, then the letters R and X, dot com slash milkshake. Goodrx.com slash milkshake. GoodRx is not insurance, but can be used instead of insurance, Medicare, and Medicaid. Indeed, in 2021, GoodRx users saved 81% on retail prescription prices. Public Goods is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from personal care and household products to coffee, toilet paper, shampoo, pet food, and more, Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single-product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. Yeah, in our household, we have all these like Public Goods soap dispensers. I mean, this is what I love about Public Goods is that you know what's in your products and you know where it came from. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives that are still common on drug and grocery store shelves. And they're committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. This is how they do it. They have a membership model, and that's how they keep their costs low. And they can pass on even more savings to their customers that way. And best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. We've worked out an awesome deal, folks. Receive $15, $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again and again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You got nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash milkshake or use code milkshake at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash milkshake to receive $15 off your first order. There's a, there's a thing that all of our geek stories, and I, I don't mean just the three of us, I mean all of us who identify as geeks, all of our stories have two big things in common. One is here is a moment when I was just so incredibly passionate and excited and thrilled about this thing that I loved. And in the expression of that, here is how I was humiliated by (laughs) the people around me who didn't get it. Okay. So with that in mind, also with Um, the understanding, uh, as I've said before, that being a nerd is not about what you love. It's about the way you love a thing. So here's my giant, massive, are you kidding me, nerd story. Um, I, uh, I work as a voice actor all the time. It is a wonderful, joyous part of my career that I, that I love. And I occasionally work at a studio in, uh, uh, in Burbank called Out Loud. I was finishing up one morning in uh, Out Loud and I was walking toward the door. When you get to the door, there's a large kind of kitchenette area where we all sit with a long counter against the wall and we all sit at that counter and eat our lunch or or, or like uh, drink our coffee or whatever. And I'm walking down the, uh, the, 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 the corridor to get to the door to leave. And there is a man sitting at the end of the counter and he is uh, uh, looking at an iPad, and I notice on the back of his neck a Black Flag tattoo. Now, I love the band Black Flag. I uh, uh, Extremely influential, very, very important to me in my development as a human being. Punk rock is extremely important to me. It was an enormous part of, uh, of shaping who I am as a person. And Henry Rollins, in particular, mm-hmm. who fronted Black Flag for the majority of its, of its uh, uh, popularity. Um, Rollins is an amazing writer. He's an incredible DJ. Uh, uh, he's an activist. I just, I, I love this man. Like, I, I, I worship this guy. 
And uh, uh, I say to this dude who's sitting there with the black flag tattoo on the back, tattoo on the back of his neck, oh my God, I have been wanting to get one of those black flag tattoos forever. And I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. Um, and before I can finish the second half of that sentence, this guy turns his head and it's Henry Rollins. <laughs> so I freeze. I panic. I say to him, oh my God, you're Henry Rollins. And he's like, yes, I am. And I say to him, I'm going to do to you what sometimes happens to me. And I'm really sorry for this. I know that this, that, that this is weird because I've been on, I've been you in this interaction. And I go on like that for, I, I go on like that for a second, right? Just on and on and on. And, uh, um, uh, I, I I tell him how I read his books as poetry in drama school and how I uh, just the music and what it means to me. And, and, and he's sort of looking at me kind of puzzled and patient, which is entirely appropriate and the best I could have hoped for. This is when I realized that I've been shaking his hand without stopping for like close to 90 <laughs> seconds. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to leave. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hate this. I'm sorry. I'm so mortified. I'm going to leave. And I go to and I hit the door. I forget that the door at Out Loud has a security thing on it where you have to push a button on the wall so the door will open. So I go like as hard as I can to push through that door to go out into the parking lot. And I slam myself into the wall <laughs> right next to Henry Rollins. And I'm like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. I, okay. Uh, no, I, I, I got, I got this. Uh, um, and, uh, and I push the door again and the door doesn't open the second time. And one of the women who works it out loud, who a hundred percent knows what's going on is like, you forgot to push the button, buddy. I'm like, okay, thanks. I gotta, I gotta push the button, push the button. I leave. I am, it's like, I, I am, I am so excited that I've met Henry Rollins, but also absolutely mortified that I have completely fallen apart in front of him. At this time I was still using Twitter and I, I recounted the story on Twitter from the parking lot. And somebody said, oh, you got to read the story that Henry wrote about one time when he met one of his heroes. And he just fell apart exactly the same way you fell apart. Henry will absolutely get that. Don't worry about it. What I, what I love about that story is the way that it uh, acknowledges the intersection between geekhood and fandom, right? Yeah. That there's, hmm. and, and you were talking about very clearly, like in the, I remember like in the 70s and 80s, like if you were a geek, you got beat up at school. And now yeah. if you're a geek, you get to do Marvel movies, I guess. Um, yeah. And so things have changed. But I think honestly what's changed is the way in which fandom uh, has caught up to to geekhood. And, and, and this, is, this is a big part of this book, which I, which I really love. But of course, for you, like growing up, being a part of uh, not just like, you know, a major franchise, you know, like Star Trek, but I mean, you know, one of these kind of game changing, earth shattering, uh, uh, you know, uh, things. <laughs> um, I, I wonder, like, how your relationship with fandom and with pop culture has kind of ebbed and flowed over the last you know, a couple of decades in which you've found yourself, you know, kind of part of this gigantic thing. There's been good times and bad times. Yeah. For all of my teens, I was a target of toxic fandom mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. really hurt a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I write about in the book about being an abused and exploited child. When I was seven years old, my mother, who was um, <clears throat> a, uh, a, a commercial actor who had had a tiny little bit of success, but then just, just didn't keep up with the changes in the industry. When I was seven, she decided that I was going to be an actor. And she took me to her commercial agent and she coached me to tell the agent, I want to do what mommy does. And uh, I did what I was told because I was seven and uh, started going on auditions. And after uh, not very long, um, I realized that I did not enjoy this. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like being in traffic every day after school. I didn't like getting home after the sun had gone down because I was down in Hollywood doing auditions. I didn't like that I had to do my homework in the car. Um, and I really didn't like that. This was a thing I absolutely did not want to do. And I vocalized that all the time. And neither of my parents would listen to me. Um, my mom's gaslighting of me started almost immediately. Um, 
as long as I can, can remember, she told me it was my idea. It was a thing that I wanted to do, and she gave up her career for me. So by the time Star Trek came along, um, I had had success in Stand By Me, and um, I, had, uh, uh, I had worked, um, I'd kind of worked enough um, to sort of show the industry that I was reliable and that I was a young person who could take direction and, and interpret scripts and things like that. And that's kind of like how I ended up being on Star Trek. And um, a constant through all of that, in addition to uh, when, I was a, when I was a small kid, my, my dad was just kind of like not interested in me. Um, he was uh, uh, dismissive of me. Um, the only time he ever really paid attention to me was to humiliate me or to mock me or uh, to somehow put me down and make me feel bad about myself. So by the time I was working on Star Trek, I was in an incredible amount of existential pain. I was lonely. I was afraid. I had been in public high school for a little bit in between Stand By Me and Star Trek, and uh, I was just universally bullied. Um, I think I had four friends out of a student body of about a thousand. Um, it was terrible and it was really painful. The Wesley Crusher character um, was written in the first couple of seasons of Star Trek as more of an idea than a character. And at least one original Star Trek Next Generation writer hated the character so much, they kind of wrote him badly. I suspect maybe on purpose. Mm. Um, and uh, I can't prove it, but it is something that really matches up with a lot of stuff I've experienced over the years. Um, and uh, fans really hated him. He was kind of, he was, he was not well-written. He was smarter than everybody. Uh, he always figured things out before the adults did. The adults never listened to him. He was always right. Um, and they never showed him being like a normal kid. They never showed him uh, dealing with the things that I was dealing with at that time, which was like, yeah, I'm very smart and like can really work with you all in, an, in a professional environment. But when it's time to like go hang out after work, I have to go home and be alone because I'm a kid and you're adults. And that created all this angst and ennui in me. And like, we never saw Wesley with his friends. And they corrected that in later iterations of Star Trek. They gave Jake Sisko Nog and uh, and they've handled it brilliantly and beautifully with Adira and Gray in, uh, uh, in Star Trek Discovery. Um, they're handling it extraordinarily well with Cadet Uhura in, in Strange New Worlds, even though she's in her early 20s and Wesley was a teenager. So at that time, toxic fandom was vicious and relentless. And what I think is real important for everybody to remember is that these were adults attacking a child yeah, that's about right. a TV show. Wow. That's right. Yeah. And ruthlessly, ruthlessly. And by the way, this was before social media. Like, could you imagine? Way before social media. This was all on like Usenet and in the letters pa letter pages of Starlog. People would come up to me at Star Trek conventions and just be unspeakably cruel to me um, and then demand my signature on a cast photo just because they wanted it finished. Not be, you know, they really clear that they didn't like me. Like, um, uh, and it just felt like nobody ever had my back. Yeah. My parents certainly didn't. Um, my cast had my back, but I never really talked to them about that aspect of things. Mm -hmm. um, they were there for me emotionally. They showed up for me emotionally on the set, but it's not like I could go to someone's dressing room and say, I really need to have a heart to heart with you about this stuff. Cause I didn't know how to do that. I didn't have those skills. So that is the toxic fandom that I experienced um, right around the time the internet was really becoming mainstream. Having gone through all of that and experienced all of that, it's a thing that I feel really strongly about. And uh, um, I feel like a lot of us that came of age through that have worked to try and keep kindness and, and, the, and, and the reminder that there's a human being on the other side of the screen in, for, in the front of people's minds. But like, it's just hard. Like, yeah. we are not the loudest voice in the room and there's just not a lot we can do about it right now. So we were the, we, we're the same age. Well, I just turned 50. And so I was your age while you were, you know, Wesley Crusher. And, yeah. and you know, being, being a fan, like, I, I mean, I remember hearing all of that stuff, all of that negativity. Um, and then, yeah, then like after a few seasons, you know, uh, the, the character, you know, kind of disappears and goes off to, to Starfleet. And I wonder, because you were talking about how in the later seasons, now there's the internet and things are different and, and there's already the transition coming in. Almost in a way, 
the way that your character was handled is reflective of that because then when you start then when Wesley started coming back like those are some kick ass episodes okay uh, like the the Cobalt Starburst that is a kick ass episode yeah those episodes were written by writers who loved him and understood him and and were really supported in in telling his story um i recently watched my very very last episode and it was hard to watch all i see in myself is just so much sadness just overwhelming like if sadness were a noise you would have to mute the tv because it was overwhelming for me wow. Wow. um but those episodes were very, very well written. Um, and I'm really happy, you know, I, um, uh, I, I love Ron Moore who wrote Journey's End said he always felt like Wesley Crusher was meant to do something different from Starfleet. He said he always felt like the rigidity of Starfleet and, and the, the rules and regulations aspect of it was not kind of his thing. He wanted to do something else. And, and uh, he thought, well, the traveler told Picard that Wesley could do these other things and he was destined for more. And like Picard ought to be supportive of that. And his mother ought to be supportive of that. And I really loved that aspect of that story because I didn't have that support. Yeah, in my it's just kind of life. talking about your own parents. Yeah. I love this place where I am now in my professional life, where I host the Ready Room for the Star Trek universe, mm -hmm. because very much like Wesley Crusher, we both like kind of left our starships because we had been put on paths that we figured out weren't necessarily right for us. It didn't mean that we didn't love the people we were around when we were there. And it doesn't mean that we didn't do great things when we were there. It just means this is not the thing. And he went with the traveler for uh, 30 years. And I went essentially to therapy for 30 years. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and now the two of us have come back to Star Trek at this moment where, right. where as this traveler... He brings this wisdom and this experience and uh, uh, and a uh, um, and a perspective from outside of the universe looking in that the other characters don't have. I can do that too. I can do that as as someone who is you know there's there's only one show that's older than ours. That is the weirdest thing for me to think of. I just keep thinking about how like my friends who were on Enterprise have been like, yeah, that was a long time ago. And I'm like, don't talk to me about a long time ago. Let me tell you about a long time ago. And, um, and, and I, and I really, um, I really, I, I, I love that. Um, and I'm so grateful for this relationship that I, as a human, I'm beginning to have with these actors who play the characters on these other shows because um, I interview them for Ready Room and they want to talk to me about, okay, buddy, you've been on part of Star Trek for three decades. Like, can we have a lot of questions and I'm just like, I'm here for it. I'm here for everything you want to know. Like, I let me support you and, and, and love your shows. And finding out, I didn't know this, but finding out a couple of weeks ago that multiple Star Trek series kind of went to war over who got Wesley. Um, was really validating and wonderful for me. And the celebration mm. from fandom over the last few weeks has been beautiful and wonderful. And I just wish, you know, I wish that I could go back in time and grab 15, 16 year old me and just hug him and tell him this sucks and this has nothing to do with you. And there is a time mm. in your future where as much as you are feeling hated right now, you are going to feel loved in, in a way that you almost that you will not be able to understand. That's how much love is going to come to you. That's how much celebration is going to come to you. Uh, it's so gratifying to hear you say that because yeah. I relate to that story uh, in so many different ways, and it's kind of where we wanted to bring this conversation, which was. You know, for me growing up, that nerd that I uh, previously encapsulated in, in suburban Seattle, and then I went, I fell in love with acting and theater, but in a really nerd way. It's like, it's how you love it. How I love theater was, yeah. you know, reading everything by Bertrand Brecht until three in the morning, you know, and, yeah. um, and so went off to acting school and still, you know, as an actor, you're not supposed to be a nerdy geek. You're supposed to be able to play you know, Hamlet and do right. play all different kinds of roles and lead roles. And although Hamlet has actually a pretty geeky character, but yeah, 
I I went through some transitions in my kind of really awkward uh, early and mid twenties, where eventually, after really hitting my head against the concrete on some in some uh, with some bad performances, I came around to realizing in my late twenties, early thirties, hey. I'm that same geeky suburban kid from Seattle now being an actor. This is who I am. I am, I'm intellectual. I read science fiction. Um, I study world religions and mythology. I'm interested in um, spirituality. I'm interested in, you know, tech. Uh, I, I get my clothes at thrift stores and I'm awkward socially, and I'm kind of weird in my body, and and fuck it, this is who I need to be as an actor. I'm not gonna be some kind of like Juilliard train kind of like, you know, yeah. larger than life leading man, and um, you know, and be built and 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 you know, uh, and charming. That's just that's not who I am. And in embracing that, um. That enabled me to later on play Dwight Schrute because yeah. it was a deep understanding of who someone like Dwight Schrute was and drawing on those roots back from my suburban Seattle years, but also from, you know, embracing who I was. And you have embraced who you are. You've embraced your history. You have found this kind of identity you know, they have like gay icons, right? Like Lady Gaga. Well, you're in the top five geek icons, but you went through a really difficult, painful, treacherous journey to get there. But one thing I really loved about your book is like, I can just see this book just poured over by the the geeks of America because it's it's so unabashed and proud. and um, And at the same time, one of the things that I feel like you have discovered, and I hope that I have as well, is that you have a big heart. So yeah. it's not just the geekdom of the kind of nerdy lists of esoteric knowledge that you have in your in your brainstem. It's really like you've learned the value of deep kindness and empathy and your efforts to combat bullying. So here's two geeks made good embracing their identity and going on a journey. When we grow into ourselves, whenever that happens, when we finally feel like, I talk about having like, feeling like my feet are underneath me, feeling feeling like, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm really connected to whatever reality. Um, when those moments happen, um, I, uh, I, I, I feel like, um, I feel like I am making choices and I'm doing things kind of like on purpose um, uh, to do, you know, what's important to me. And the people who are really genuinely supportive, who are genuinely the people, you know, we want to have in our lives. I don't know what it's been like for you guys, but as I've gotten older, my friend group has gotten substantially smaller, mm -hmm. um, especially through the pandemic. Like it's gotten exponentially smaller. We figure out like, these are the relationships that we absolutely cannot live without. These are the relationships that are very nice to have. And these are the relationships that just aren't worth maintaining. And um, I found that when I wanted to just walk away from this thing that I didn't like, I was supported by the people that mattered and I was unsupported by the people who were benefiting because I was doing that thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things I hope people will get out of this book is maybe like a little bit of a roadmap, a little bit of a level guide, a little bit of a frequently asked questions list to help get started as 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 you unnamed person who i don't know who you are kind of starts down this this journey of of questioning and and ultimately realizing who you are and what's important to you and um to bring it kind of around to how this relates to the to like it intersects with being a geek um 
you know, for the longest time, we were told that we should be ashamed of loving science. We should we should be embarrassed because uh, uh, we liked classical music. We you know we sh we we shouldn't care about chess. We shouldn't care about science fiction. Uh, you know, all that matters is how hard you can hit somebody. You know, in various forms and stuff. And um, uh, I I feel like we're just saying to everybody when when you realize that you're a nerd don't let anybody tell you that's not okay you're not hurting anybody at all and i think that that ultimately what matters is um to choose an abundance of kindness and to choose love support and and uh and celebration of people who are doing things they love that are not hurting other people uh, this is i mean such a beautiful message and and the book uh i think in talking about your life and all the ups and downs that you've had um, and maintaining true to yourself, right? There's making sure that, that despite the fact that, you know, there are people who are attacking you, that the people that are supposed to love you and support you are doing none of those things um, that you kind of held on to the core of who you are, even when you feel like an outsider in your own life. And it's, it's such an inspiring story. Uh, and it was such an absolute thrill to have you on the pod. Will Wheaton, thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been- Oh, it's been such a pleasure. I've really loved talking to both of you. Thank you. Yeah. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Will. I have to say that, uh, that was really, really inspiring. Even more uplifting than I thought. Really, yeah. uh, exceptional conversation. And, um, you know, I feel uh, I feel reinvigorated. Yeah. I mean, just like hearing him suddenly now, I mean, I guess he's 50. <laughs> so you're supposed to be this by the time you're 50. But he's so comfortable in his skin. He's so comfortable about the decisions that he's made. He's got, you know, no regrets about all the things that have happened to him. And And again, like it's hard for us to imagine as a teenager, you know, going through what he went through. And coming out of it the way that he did, like he should be like either dead or like a, a crack dealer on the street or something. That's that's the way these stories usually end. I just want to say for all our listeners out there uh, and all of our viewers, uh, all 817 of you on our YouTube channel. Listen, um, this is your chance. Let this episode uh, fill you with a purpose and a meaning having to do with embracing who you are all of your oddness, all of your eccentricity, all of your imbalances, your awkwardness, yes, um, whether you're gay or lesbian, or uh, whether you're on the spectrum, whether you're a super nerd, whether, you know, in whichever way you have never fit into the norm, you know what? Fuck them. This is our chance, all of us, to embrace our inner oddness and the world will be made a better place once we all do that. That's right. Be who you are, people. Be who you are. Everyone else is taken. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. And, uh, you know, we uh, have a little giveaway here, too. We have five Ooh, copies. Do tell. Do five tell. copies okay. of Will Wheaton's very heavy uh, <laughs> book. It is. Still Just a yep. Geek an annotated uh, memoir. And we're going to give five of these away to our listeners. You know how easy this is. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, write us a review, uh, take a screenshot of the review, send it in to us. Uh, you can find us on social media at Reza Aslan, at Rain Wilson, on Twitter at Metamilk Podcast or on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. You could even uh, email it to us. What's our email address? It is metaphysical at castmedia.com. Metaphysical at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. Send us, uh, send us some kind of proof uh, of your review. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to send you Will's book. And especially for yeah. th those of you out there, uh, whether you're young or old or in between and you're struggling with uh, who people tell you you should be, and who you actually are. My co-host, Rain Wilson, said it best. Fuck the haters. There you have it. Thanks for listening, folks. 
Follow, rate, review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe to our Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel and watch our full episodes unfold every week. See you next week. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Paris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. I think that Darmok could be a lot of things. It also sounds like a dish you eat somewhere that is amazing while you're eating it. And then at roughly 18 hours later, you really regret diving, like just getting elbow deep into Darmok. Shaka when the walls fell, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Reza, that was one of the best uses of Shaka when the walls fell. I've heard in a really long time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.